You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Merry Christmas to all. And joining me is my friend Don Durrett of goldstockdata.com to give us his thoughts on the mining stocks, precious metals, and markets going into the end of the year and leading into 2022. Don, welcome back onto the show. And when we last spoke, I think it was in August. And after we hung up or were about to hang up, you said, Bill, reach back out to me in December for our next interview. So I guess my leading question is, why did you want to do our next interview in December? Was there something you were expecting at that time? Yeah. So uh, gold and silver, a lot of times it trades really closely to seasonality. So, I mean, last year, I pretty much turned bearish on gold after it did not rise in January. January seasonally is usually a very strong month for gold and for the markets. You rarely crash in um in January, usually go up, and especially gold usually goes up pretty significantly, and it didn't. So, and when it didn't, I said, uh oh, we're in big trouble here. So, basically, the markets, and then this was uh, Biden just got elected. So, it was really, um, it was really a significant month, and it basically showed that the market didn't care that Biden was the president. They basically, the only thing they cared about was Powell was the Fed chairman, and this was Powell's market. So, I turned bearish, and I basically said that until Basically, Powell loses control and that the risk, the risk on trade um, flips and people stop buying stocks, that gold is trapped. And sure enough, gold was trapped, has been trapped all year in this range from 1680 all the way to 1950. And every time gold gets over 1800, you get this rinse and repeat where the banks are just going beat it, beat it back down. It's been stuck at 1800, you know, nothing new here. People keep buying the market, buying the dip. So I basically said, okay, I said that we're going to have to wait. So turn bearish in early, uh, end of January, early February. I said, okay, we're going to have to wait until the Q1, Q2. So wait till Q2. That's another seasonality thing. So you go to April, May. Usually in April and May, the markets tend to get soft. They, you know, they have a good first quarter and they get soft in the second quarter. And then I was going to wait and see if they got soft. They didn't get soft. So I said, uh-oh, we're going to have to wait until all the way to September because the summer, all through the summer, you're going to get the same thing that you got in April and May. And sure enough, we did. So I said, okay, we're going to have to look in September and see what happens. Sure enough, in September, we got our first correction. The market went down 5%, but then Wall Street bought the dip. And since September, I said, okay, Q4, we're going to have to wait and see. I think we're going to see some more seasonality. And in, 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 the, in the Q4, you usually see weaknesses in the market. And we did, and we've seen a lot of volatility, but every single time the market has got bought. So we, we, and we saw it this month. We saw it here in December. And I said, December, you're not going to get a 5% correction in December. And everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get one. We're going to get one. So what's happened is every time that it gets sold off, somebody buys a dip. Today is a perfect example. They bought the dip again. You see these $500 decreases in the Dow and then $500, uh, 500 point buys. So, so here we are, December, um, where it's going to be a red month for the Dow, but they're still buying the dip. The risk on still on. Okay, that's a whole backdrop for next year. So now we're heading into next year. What's going to happen? What I think is going to happen is that we're going to go into January, and I think the risk on trade is going to stay in play. I don't think we're going to crash in January with the markets. They generally do not crash in January. So what's going to happen here is gold stuck. Gold's going to remain stuck. 
in uh, January. And I think that's going to carry over through February. So we got this rinse repeat cycle that's been in play since Biden was elected. It's going to stay in play, I think, all the way until March at the earliest and probably April or May. Somewhere in there, I think, is when we have this opportunity for basically the Fed to lose control and for uh, when I say lose control, I mean, that's when Wall Street finally stops buying these dips. And that's when the market gets weak. And that's when gold finally breaks out. Coinciding with rate hikes, Don, because that's what they're timing, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Coinciding with rate hikes. That's one of the reasons I'm so bullish for gold next year is because of these rate hikes. They have to increase the Fed funds. They have to. I don't know how much. They, they want to increase it from a quarter point up to 1%. 1% is nothing. We got 8% inflation right now, and they, and they want to increase it to 1%. So they're basically, they've decided they're soft right now. That's another reason why I'm, I'm kind of um, bearish on gold, because the Fed is being, is really dovish on inflation. They're not raising rates here in the first quarter. They've said they're not. So if they're not raising rates, we got 8% plus inflation, they're not raising rates. So they're taking a gamble, and they're basically getting behind inflation. They still believe this transitory story that inflation is going away this year. It might go away in the second half, but it's not going away in the first half. So they have to raise rates. In tandem with that, they're going to taper a little bit. They've already said they're going to taper a little Don, bit. Do they have to raise rates? Or from their perspective, they talk a good game about raising rates, whereas they remain dovish oh. the whole time and deflate, no. you know, inflate away no. our purchasing power of our dollar. No, they have to raise rates because of... Inflation is so painful to people. They can't just ignore rates and not raise rates because people are going to feel the pain. So they'll have huge pressure on them. But, but if they, they raise people, rates, if I could play the other side, if they raise rates, people are going to feel pain too. You know, you're going to crush no, the housing no. market or at least put a damper on it. No, but yeah, but that's not the people that really are going to scream. They deserve to have feel a little bit of pain. They've been making all the money. The people that are going to feel the pain, the reason why they have to raise rates is because the people that are feeling the pain of inflation have not benefited from the stock market rising. It's the middle class and below that feel the pain of, of, of basically inflation. All right, let me play the so, other side a little more. If they raise rates and it hurts the stock market, is that going to hurt the general economy, which will hurt the little guy? Yeah. It, yes, it will. But that 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 argument doesn't work for not raising rates. The argument's valid, but it doesn't work. They have to raise rates. It's a matter of how much. Do they only raise rates twice? Do they only raise rates once? But they have to raise them. They don't have a choice. Um, the only way that they could get away with it is if the CPI printed like four point five. If the CPI goes down, then that's what they're begging for. That's what they're praying for, is that in, in the, the CPIs in January and February and maybe March basically go down significantly. They're, they're hoping for that. If, if, and that's the reason why they didn't raise rates, because exactly what you're saying, because when they raise rates, basically they're going to pull a little bit of liquidity out of the market and the market's going to scream and the market's going to go down. And so you're right. They don't want to raise rates, but they have to. And they have to taper as well because of inflation. This is all about inflation. Inflation is the Achilles heel of MMT and now inflation is biting them. If inflation was still at 2%, they'd be happy, you know, but, and they would just keep liquefying the market and pretend that everything is fine. Everything is not fine, even with inflation.
If we didn't have inflation, things would not be fine. It's still a Potemkin uh, economy, really. Without the Fed's injection, I mean, they raised, they raised the money supply by 40% during COVID. And we're still weak. We still have a weak economy, even by in, in exploding the money supply. So, you know, things aren't pretty here and we have inflation. So that's where I got you there. So gold and silver, look around April. That's going to be the takeoff point in your 2022 forecast. Would that be accurate as a summary? That's the earliest, earliest takeoff point on, um, on a, a, a possibility. You know, you look at the, uh, you know, what are the odds? When are the odds of when, when, when we break out? Again, um, we've been on a risk on trade since Biden was elected. You can actually go back a little bit, but basically the beginning of November. So we're over a year in this risk on trade. Um, when does it flip? I think the early, the best chance of it flipping is uh, March, possibly April or May. But it wouldn't shock me if we roll all the way to August and even September. I would say worst case is this risk on trade makes it all the way through August and we, and we go back to September again. Wow. <laughs> That's the worst case. We, we have to wait until September. Don, how have you been explaining the inflation that the average Joe or Jane in America experiences, yet gold's not rising? Like, just how do you, would you explain that in layman's terms to somebody? Yeah, so I expect it. I've I've been saying over and over again, because a lot of people like on Twitter, every time the the, the charts start looking good, we're breaking out here, we're breaking out here. I'm going, the risk on trade's still alive. We're not going anywhere. Inflation. So so the two things that are not going to push gold higher are real rates, negative real rates, and inflation. Those two are, they help gold, but they don't push it. They don't push it to new breakouts. The only thing that pushes gold to new breakout levels is uncertainty. You can call it the fear trade, but basically it's uncertainty when people on Wall Street, and this is it, this is the big money. Gold is a very big market. You're talking three, four trillion dollars in gold. It's a big market. So on the fringe, you can't move it. The only people that move gold is the big money. And if the big money doesn't want to own gold, they're not going to, it's not moving. The physical market doesn't move it. It's it's basically the paper market. And it's the billions and billions of dollars that make move gold higher. And, and, and when the banksters, so it comes down to this, is that the banksters don't want gold to go higher because of the psychological effects. If gold's over $2,000 and silver's over 30, people are nervous. They're not comfy. They're not happy. They're like, something's not right here. Um, and they're thinking about, you know, why should I put money in the stock market? It's like a big red flag that's flashing. I, I don't want to put money in the stock market. Gold is telling me something here. They don't want that. It's a big, big psychological red flag. Uh, they want, you know, and it also impacts the dollar as well. And so the, the, so the big money and the banksters, so the, it's, it's kind of a two-group two play and play here. So the banksters, I don't know who they are, but those are the guys that sell these billion dollar contracts in one minute. They're the big players. They basically pound gold down 20, 30, 40, $50 in a matter of minutes. And they usually do it at the, at the weirdest times, right? Early in the morning, first trade, out the gate, right? <laughs> what do they know? You know, sell everything. You know, the markets, gold is, you know, gold's going up and down, up and down. We're just going to sell 
$5 billion of gold in one minute. Okay, so they, and, and it seems like that they always do it right when gold's trying to break out. Okay, so I call them the banksters. And I've been watching them for 10 years do this over and over and over again. Over 10 years, actually, 20 years. Um, and then the other player is basically the investors, the retail crowd, but but also some of your pension fund, but basically the people that kind of want to buy gold. Those guys buy the dip. So, so, so you, they, the banksters pound it down 50 bucks. Somebody's got to come in and buy all that paper. And it's a lot of money. You got to find a lot of buyers, right? And the only time that you file, find a lot of buyers, because you have it, it, it's concentrated sellers and then it's a lot of buyers. And where do you find a lot of buyers? You got to have sentiment. And the only way you get sentiment is when uncertainty arises. So when 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 the when uncertainty arises, the fear trade kicks in and you have a lot of buyers and they buy that dip as they see it as an opportunity, then you get your breakout. But if you don't have a whole bunch of buyers, then you're not going to break out. And so that's why inflation and that's why, you know, 10-year negative real rates. I mean, we got a negative real rate now of 5% and nobody's buying gold. And everybody says, oh, negative real rates are great for gold, great for gold. Negative five isn't working, what's going to work, right? I mean, so no, inflation's not, if you get inflation, I mean, we're at 10% inflation, nobody's buying gold. So um, that's not going to be the secret re, secret sauce for $2,000 gold. It's It's fear. People have to be afraid that, that something's not going to work. And that's where the Fed has to lose control. As long as people are comfortable with MMT, comfortable with the Fed, gold's stuck. But I think at a certain point, like I said, this risk on trades lasted over a year now. I think at a certain point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip and gold's going to take off. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine Project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early-stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface. One grab sample assay an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton. Yes, that's right, ounces, not grams. Silver One has tremendous exploration potential, is extremely leveraged to the price of silver, and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. Don, when we invest in a volatile sector like uh, gold stocks and silver mining stocks and such, it's very volatile. And well, one thing I'm observing is that a lot of people's emotions are out of control. At least the last, I would say, the six weeks in five years of posting videos on YouTube, I think I've gotten some of the most extreme negative sentiment comments uh, in, in a lot of the videos I've posted from people that regret buying gold, regret buying gold stocks. But then I look at someone like you, you've been doing this for close to 20 years. You have a long-term perspective. You've already predetermined your exit. So you're able to emotionally navigate uh, a down cycle like this a lot better. I mean, could you comment to that, especially for newer gold stock investors or speculators that are down 40% from earlier this year? Um, yeah. So Gold and silver mining stocks are very volatile, and the risk you're basically a speculator when you invest in this. And most people, they think they basically don't have that mindset 
of being down 20, 30, 40, 50% on their portfolio. They just don't have that mindset. They're used, they want to be up. They want to be green. Uh, even down 10%, they're not comfortable. Once they get down 30%, you know, and, and then the other thing about gold and silver is that these corrections can last a long time. I mean, this one, this correction has been, I mean, a lot of people were buying gold during the, from March 2020 to August 2020 when, when you know, we had this really big run. Um, basically, and gold, that was the silver run, but the gold, gold run was actually started um, earlier than that. Uh, so you can go all the way back to 2019 for some, the beginning of the gold run. So a lot of people were getting in early, buying that trend, buying stocks then, and then everybody that bought then, you know, got underwater. And so they were thinking in terms of short term. They didn't realize that they were really a short term investor. And they're not only were they a short term investor, but they were risk averse. So if you're going to invest in gold and silver mining stocks, you can't really be a risk averse investor. You need to, you need to be the opposite of that. <laughs> and you have to basically be a speculator. And you have to think in terms you have to think in terms of why you're doing this. I am chasing alpha. I'm not chasing, I don't think of this in short-term uh, short term things. I don't care about a one-year investment. I look at it three to five years and I look at 300 to 500% returns. That's huge alpha. I'm chasing, chasing huge alpha. So if I go down 50% you know, in a stock, that's for me, it's nothing. So what I do, there's two ways to do this. Number first way is this, is the most difficult, but it's the safest, and that's to be a trader. And so basically, you don't allow a single a stock that you own to go down, say, more than 20%. Once it goes down 10, 15, 20, you sell, you trade it, and you basically, you know, ride the winners, add to the winners, and then sell your losers. That's a trader. And you only basically trade 20 to 40 stocks. I don't do that. Because the reason why I don't do that is because I'm chasing big alpha. And if you chase big alpha, it's not easy to find big alpha in, say, 20 to 40 stocks. So I own 150 stocks plus over 150 stocks. That's a ton, right? But I've been collecting these stocks since 2004. I got to 100 and I said, oh, I'm going to stop here. And I just kept going. I got to 120. I'm going to stop here. I kept going. So, you know, it's been a long journey. But what I do is I have a, I do small allocations in each stock. So what I, you know, a, a major, you know, some of these real strong majors I'll do, you know, at least 1%, but I don't do a lot of majors because you're not going to get big alpha. I use some majors like Kirkland Lake. I have a, you know, I, you know, 1%, 2%, but I don't like to go over 2% on a single stock. Very few stocks do I do 2%. Most of my quality uh, mid-tier producers, I only do 1%. And everything, everything below that, all of your development stories, all your exploration stories, I'm under 1%. A lot of your drill stories, I'm under, I'm at a half percent or less. A lot of your develop, most of your development, I'm under 1%. A lot of them, I'm at a half percent. So I'm at 150 stocks. I got a lot of low allocation stocks, right? So if I'm only... You know, and most of my 1% stocks are, you know, quality mid-tier producers. So I don't worry about those stocks. And then all of my dev stories that I'm, you know, half percent or around, around a half percent. If I lose one of those stocks, I don't really care. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to lose some, but I'm going to have some five baggers in there. So that's how I do it. That's how I address my risk. It's I the gold stock data. 
ETF, right? Yeah, <laughs> John's yeah, ETF. You yeah, created your own. own. I created my own. Yeah, 150 stocks. Right. And it's interesting. Um, Eric Sprott does the same thing. If you look at how he allocates his money, he does not allocate a lot to very many stocks. He's got like three stocks that have a. Uh, you look at his his uh, cost bases. He's got three stocks where he's got maybe a significant allocation. Everything else is like me, tiny. But on, on relative to his net worth, yeah, let's percent, qualify. Half percent, yeah. half percent. Yeah. I mean, it looks like he's got a huge. You know, he has a huge. But on a cost basis, why it's half percent, half percent. So he doesn't worry. He loses the stocks. Like, so what? I'm going to make my money back on these other ones. So I'm my, you know, people can criticize me. Oh, you've been doing this for all these years. You know, how much money have you made? You know, that's not how I look at it. I look at it as a long-term thing. I, I think of this as a once in a lifetime. Gold and silver is a once in a lifetime, one time trade. We haven't had it yet. We so I, I started doing this um, 1991. We had one bull run, but, but from 1991 to 2004, I only invested in one mutual fund, but go on, go on, go, that's it, you know, but I was doing gold mutual one month. 2004, I started buying mining stocks, individuals, juniors. That's when I started collecting stocks was 2004. Since 2004, we've only had one kind of mini bull market, which was 2011. But it really wasn't what I was what I was after, so I didn't sell. I probably should have, in hindsight, sell the sell the, a little bit. I the only stock I sold is I sold like five hundred shares of First Majestic because it it went to the moon. It went from like a dollar to twenty eight, so I sold five hundred shares. But I didn't sell hardly anything in that twenty eleven uh, rally. I thought that wasn't the rally I was looking for. So the rally that I'm looking for hasn't come yet. I'm waiting. Is there anything that could change that expectation, Don? Oh, absolutely. And, and that would be the stock. That would, yeah, yeah. So I do this from an analytical standpoint. So analytical in that I analyze not only stocks, but I analyze the fundamentals of stocks. That's why I got into it. What are the underlying fundamentals? In me, the underlying fundamental that drives gold and silver is the debt market, the bond market. And also the economy, because the economy underlies the bond market. So the bond market is $100 trillion, and it's based on um, the economy. And so in my opinion, the U.S. economy is no longer sound. It's no longer sound because it no longer generates enough wealth to pay the debt. So it's basically trapped, and now they've adopted MMT, and they're, they're trapped into expanding the debt. And MNT is this belief, this fallacy that debt doesn't matter, that we can just keep expanding the debt, expanding the debt forever, generation after generation, and it'll never blow up. That's not what the economic, what economics says. And isn't it interesting that Jay Powell is not an economist? I don't think he's had an economics class. He was a poli-sci major. If you're a poli-sci major, you don't take Econ 101. So here's a guy running the Fed who doesn't really have an economic background when i when i'm telling you if you look well at it is a political op uh, position wouldn't you agree though that's a political no it, it's a political it's appointment it's turned yeah. into one but he's making decisions that are economic and basis but it's influenced by politics i guess is Absolutely. my point it's, yeah it's influenced but still you're trying to um basically steer the economy 
in a good direction, you better be making good, sound, economic decisions, right? And a lot of times it's short-term political things that drive those decisions, not the long-term fundamentals that you're... They've always said that the Fed's independent. I would much rather have an economic PhD type running the Fed, you know, a Volcker, Bernanke type guy, Greenspan type guy, a guy that really knows economics. At least he knows the risk he's taking. Jay Powell, I don't think he really understands the risk that he's taking right now because they're, he's, he keeps juggling more and more balls. Once they adopted MMT, in my opinion, prior to, say, 9-11, definitely prior to 2008, I don't think that the stock market was really a top three priority of the the Fed. Now it is. If you look at the stock market since 2008, every single time the stock market had a a correction of more than 5%, the Fed's injected money every time. So they're basically juggling the stock market now. They're basically, and that was never... Prior to 2001, the stock market was never part of their the mandate. Never. And to this day, if you ask them, they'll say no, which is a lie, because every time it goes down, they inject money. They don't want the stock market to go down. They don't, they're juggling. They're basically, in, once you adopt MMT, the Fed now becomes the economy. So my fundamentals are still in place. So that's why I say that gold and silver is a once-in-a-lifetime play. Um, also, I got into crypto early, so I, I'm a speculator. I thought crypto was a really good place to play. I have much more profits in crypto than in gold and silver. And, and, I, and my gold and silver may never catch up to my crypto profits. I think they will. I, th- I expect to make more money in gold and silver than crypto because I think that if gold goes to $3,000 and silver goes to 100 plus, the miners are going to go nuts. You're going to see five backers everywhere. You can take darts. There's only 30 quality silver mines, silver stocks. Um, when I say quality, I mean good, high quality risk reward. There's about 30. You can throw darts at those 30 and make and, and basically make 500%. Don, let me on that note, let me ask you, some of the silver miners that are beat up right now, there's a number of them. We could name five to 10 of them. What's yeah. your take on the opportunity it presents speculators now? Well, I'm glad we talked about this earlier about how I invest and how you need to be a speculator. It's still high risk. Yes, there right now the silver miners look fabulous. Look fabulous because silver's at 22 bucks and it's probably going to run once it gets over 30 it's probably going to run from 30 to 50 within 6 months. So the you know the the amount of money you can make is going to be you know fabulous. Simultaneous to that, silver has a lot of risk because the break-even cost for a silver miner is about 16 to 18. It's high. And so it doesn't have that degree uh, of the gold miners have much more flexibility in making a profit than the gold miners. So so if if silver right now is at 22, if, if the stock market keeps going higher and if the economy basically inflation goes down and things get better, you could see silver go down and retest 1850. If it does that and 1850 doesn't hold and silver goes, say, goes down to sit in the 17s, you, all the, every stock you buy today is going to be down 50%. You're going to get killed. You're going to be catching a falling knife. 
So that's, you got to understand the risk is always there. You always have to recognize you always can be catching a risk, a, a falling knife. Uh, last night, I listened to an interview with Robert Kiyosaki. And he, one of the things he says is that you make your money not when you sell an investment, it's when you buy an investment. It's an adage in real estate. You, you can't yes. forget that. Yeah. So that's one thing you got to know. You want to get a really good entry price. And that's, that's first. And if you get a good entry price, okay, silver goes to 17. And it's, it's still not going to be nice for you if you buy now. But there are some stocks out there that are better entry prices than others. But m- most of them you're going to get really whacked hard. But you want to always, then another thing, you always want to keep some dry powder so that you can, you know, buy that dip if that dip comes. Um, now, I think that 1850 will hold. I think 1680 will hold. And I'm hoping that we don't te- retest those, lo- those lows. Um, I'm hoping. But it, you can't guarantee it. You never know. We're going to know a lot more here in the first quarter of this year. But the economy, in my opinion, is weakening. I expect a recession this year. Kiyosaki does as well. I expect a recession in the second half of this year. And I think I expect the U.S. and China and Japan to all basically muddle. I don't see a lot of growth this year. I think a lot of muddling where you basically are, you know, really can't find growth. No crashing. I don't expect the crash because of MMT, but just no growth. And it's just, you know, kind of nasty. If you get no growth and inflation, that's ugly, right? Because then you get you know, nothing, you know, it's, 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 it's nasty. So I I'm expecting 22 to be 2022 to be kind of a bad year for the economy and good for gold and silver. But again, I'm going to speculate. And the take, the takeoff point, just to reiterate, is this anywhere between April and August, right? The two A's. Okay. Well, no, no, we're going to go March to August, March to August. Okay. Middle, Middle, middle of March to August is when I, I see the, the flip of the risk on trade, and basically um, weakening of the economy and gold to basically start shining. Yeah, that's my my kind of coin flip for this year. We'll see what happens. Um, it, it's going to come down to the to the inflation. It's going to come down to economic growth. It's going to come down to uh, the stock market. You know, continuing to trend. It's going to come down to those three things. Uh, one thing. One one thing. I uh, final thing I want to mention is that uh, this is a, an election year. And I don't think that Congress is really going to want to uh, spend money to create inflation. So I don't see a lot of stimmies coming in this year. So without the stimmy effect, the economy is going to have trouble. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, can they get Joe Manchin to basically spend money? Because he doesn't want to spend a whole bunch of stimmy money. Um, what I understand, he only wants to spend like $200 billion next year with no stimmies. Uh, no added stimmies. So if he if they if he can only, they only get him to spend two hundred billion, that's not a lot of money. That's not going to be enough. So you get you know tapering, uh, you get an inflate uh, interest rate raise, and then no stimmy. That's not going to be you know great for the economy to roar back to life. Well, Don, thank you for your outlook for next year. But before you go, goldstockdata.com. If you're watching on YouTube, you see that logo behind Don's head. You underpromote your service. You also don't charge enough, in my opinion. What's new at your website? Um, Yeah, the database just keeps getting massive. It's almost up to 900 stocks, 900 gold and silver stocks. So, I mean, if, if, if you 
own some gold and silver stocks and you're looking for opportunities, my database is just a great place to, 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 to find opportunities and leads. That in, t- that in tandem with my newsletter, which has a whole bunch of lists of, of stocks that I like. So it's just a really, I created it, you know, for people like me who, who want to buy a lot of gold and silver stocks and they want to find data. It's like, so it's a really good resource. So people find that out too. They, they recognize really quickly that whoever created this website is an investor. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. With two decades experience. So uh, Don, thanks for coming on my show and sharing your insights today. Thanks, Bill. I, I always enjoy being on your show. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.